GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. I'm here again with uh, Jean Filonofsky from uh, Canada. And some of you will have listened to our previous conversation, but but some of you may not have met uh, Jean. Um, Jean, what we might do is ask you to give us a short version of... Um, where you're working. Um, we talked about your background before, which was which was fascinating. But I think for those that haven't heard the prior conversation, just just give me two minutes on on where you're working at the moment, because it it is interesting. I, I know to our colleagues and listeners who are mainly here in Australia, but but around the world, around the different models of care, Gene. Yeah, so David, I'm first off, I'm based in a community called Nanaimo, which is on uh, Vancouver Island. Uh, many of your listeners will be familiar with the city of Vancouver. Nanaimo is about two hours away by ferry. Uh, I arrived here 15 years ago to work at the regional hospital. I completed a residency in family medicine in 2001, but I never did any family practice. Uh, I went directly into further training in emergency medicine, spent my first career as an ER doc and a trauma team leader. Uh, and then in 2014, I started doing a day a month of skin biopsies and small excisions. Uh, my intent was just to cut back on shift work a bit, but the demand was huge. Uh, and over the course of the year, I kept getting asked to come in more often. Uh, I've always liked doing various procedures, so I enjoyed the work itself, but it's the patients who drew me in. Uh, as opposed to the high pressure, high anxiety environment of the ER, a skin cancer surgery is a fairly well-defined 15 or 20 minute interaction. There's time for a casual conversation. Yeah. And I found I really enjoyed getting to know my patients and hearing their stories. So, yeah, yeah so now I'm doing full-time skin cancer medicine. Uh, our clinic is called Skin Care West on uh, Vancouver Island here. And uh, we're a team of eight physicians, um, three dermatologists, uh, four family physicians who do uh, a mix of, of uh, dermatology and other things. And then we have one proceduralist who comes in. Yeah. It's a really interesting model. And um, again, before we, we, we talk about Imikumod and the, the clinical side, Gene, how, how common is this kind of model in, in Canada? Uh, uncommon, uncommon. Uh, right. You know, they're, they're, I think similar to Australia, there's sort of, uh, there's quite a division between family practice and dermatology. And, and our clinic is structured on a very collegial team-based environment and uh there isn't a lot of that in canada it's starting it's starting yeah. you're seeing more and more of that happening um i think our clinic was one of the uh one of the first but it's slowly starting i think there's a real recognized need uh in in canada we're really underserviced in dermatology uh there isn't enough uh, specialty trained dermatologists to meet the need and so family physicians are stepping up, doing additional training, gaining experience. Um, so we're seeing we're seeing that happening here. Yeah. Do you think do you think there'll be more of that, Gene? Or, or do you think this is almost not a one off, but you know what I mean? No, I, I think it's I think it's going to be hopefully part of the future. And yeah. I I really like our our model to, to have specialty trained dermatologists working in the same location as family physicians in a sort of this team environment, we can consult with each other, we can share images. I think that's the ideal as a family physician going into dermatology, 
Yeah. It's, it's really difficult to, to do that. You can get a lot of sort of the academic training, but it's hard yeah. to get some of that, you know, the clinical experience and, uh, and guidance from a, from a, a fellowship trained dermatologist. I think in Australia, the, the model for family physicians where it's most more focused on skin cancer medicine, or at least that's the way I understand it. You know, it makes more sense. You've got mentors there who have years, decades of experience. Yeah. Whereas if you're going out and you're doing more of a general dermatology practice, um, you know, that might be harder to find in Australia right now. Uh, over here, we don't have either the dermatology mentorship or that deep experience in skin cancer medicine. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, I went into this, uh, so I, you know, I worked as an ER doc and I left acute care medicine. And it was pretty intimidating because I felt like I was forging my own sort of path and there was no model, you know, wow. I was sort of, let's, let's see how this works out. Yeah. Um, the training I did, I did a master's at UQ and I have to say that's the foundation for what yeah. I do today. The, the, the preceptors were fantastic and the, right. and the, the, just having that solid knowledge base was really helpful. Right. right. Well, that is, that's absolutely fascinating. Thank you for that. Let, let's flick into the clinical side of things. And um, the topic today is how, how you use Imicrimod in your patients. I think you're particularly keen to talk about the role with BCCs. Um, over to you, and maybe maybe the way into this is talk talk a little bit about your approach to um, field treatments and field cancerization, maybe, and then and topical treatments in general. Gene, your your broad approach, and then you know focus in on imicrimod for us. Uh, yeah, um, you know, let's if you if you don't mind, let's start in a slightly different location. Let's talk about surgery for basal cell cancer and then come at it that way and then come at sure. it from then into non-surgical. Sure. Um, so, so we're, we're pretty well set up here at our clinic. You know, we've got a surgical suite in the clinic and, um, and we've also got a pretty good uh, group of plastic surgeons here in the community. So we can do in-clinic surgery. We can, we can refer people out. And, uh, and I keep, my background was, you know, I did trauma work and a lot of pretty interesting, you know, repairs in the emergency room. So coming into surgery uh, for skin cancer medicine, I was fairly comfortable with that concept of, okay, it needs to be cut out and here's yeah. the margins, you know, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. But one of the issues that I, I started to come across more and more is your dermoscopy skills get better. You start to pick up smaller and smaller lesions. Right. And then you run into the problem of, well, how wide do I go around this lesion? Like how much surgery is the right amount of surgery? And over here, one of our problems is we are the main guideline that we follow is the NCCN. Yeah. Um, some, some folks in Australia will be familiar with it. Yeah. So the NCCN basically has two categories for basal cell cancer. It's got a high risk group and it's got a low risk group. It, um, it recommends four millimeter margins for a low risk basal cell cancer and um, anything off of or anything, sorry, on the face is a high risk basal cell cancer, regardless of size. Yeah. So basically, if you're scanning with your scope and you find a three millimeter basal cell cancer on someone's face, the NCCN is telling you that you need to excise that and their guidance is 
standard excision with wider surgical margins. So at least four millimeters, but they're pushing you to go even wider. So you're going to put in a margin that's like twice the width of this thing. Yeah. And so the, the extent of surgery for these low risk lesions, um, you know, it, it sort of, it, it seems excessive. It seems excessive. And so going into it, you know, the cure rates for surgery are, are highest. And certainly that's the gold standard, but you start to ask the question, you know, what else is out there in terms of options? Absolutely. Uh, the other, the other thing is, is patients, they, they put a pretty high value on cosmetic outcomes. Like, like if you look at the data, they, they, uh, they put a high value on cure rates for sure, yep. but yep. It, that's most it more, they more on the body. And so if you shift from the body to the face and you look at the data, they start to put a much higher uh, value on cosmetic outcome on the face. Yeah. Um, so, um, so looking at non-surgical options for BCC, there's, there's a couple major trials that really inform it. So, so there's, there's a group out of, out of Holland that looked at uh, treatment for superficial basal cell cancer. Yep. And uh, it's, I think the lead, lead author is Eric's. It's published in the Lancet Oncology, the first, the first of three publications from their, from their group. So they looked at treatment of, uh, of uh, superficial BCC with three different uh, options. So imiquimod, 5-FU, and PDT. 600 patients. Uh, they published results at one year, three years, and five. The first results were in Lancet Oncology 2013. <clears throat> and so at that point, uh, 5-FU and Amicomod were 80% uh, each, and PDT was 70%. So it looked pretty comparable. You had two options, 5-FU, Amicomod. Amicomod is a little better. But then when they looked at it again at the five-year mark, which is which is actually, it's published in... in um, the Journal uh, of, uh, of Investigations in Dermatology, and it's a different lead author. So that throws people off. It's Jensen. But it's the same study, same 600 patients. Um, at that point, imiquimod was around 80%, uh, 5-FU was 70%, and PDT was 60%. So that's what really established imiquimod as the alternative uh, to surgery, at least for superficial basal cell cancer. Um, and then there's another set of studies that um, uh, it's called the SIN study. So it's looking specifically at surgery versus imiquimods specifically in nodular and superficial basal cell cancer. And that group is from the UK. The first study was published in uh, Lancet Oncology again. And there the, the numbers were sort of low 80s for imiquimod and high 90s for surgery. And when they published their five-year results, it, it basically stayed the same. And their conclusion was that if you've got a cure after yeah. one year with imiquimod, it seems to stay. You don't lose that. Um, there isn't a trend for recurrence after about one year. And the other thing was there wasn't really a trend towards any kind of transformation. So it wasn't like they would come back and it would be an infiltrative uh, variant or something of that kind. So even if it does recur, if you've treated a superficial basal cell cancer or a nodular basal cell cancer, it's going to come back as the same thing. Yep. You know, you could, you could treat it non-surgically again afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm very much with you around giving due consideration to topical treatments. Let's put it that way. And not just instinctively going for, for the excision. 
sort of related to this, where does curettage fit in your armamentarium? Yeah, that's that's really an excellent question. And it's um, that's really the foundation, I think, of what I do. So right. one one of the studies uh, that had a huge impact on me when I was in my my training, there's a the fellow named Barlow who published in the uh, uh, JAD, Journal of the American Academy, in 2006. And it was a retrospective study just looking at curatage. You know, he said, listen, electrodesiccation and curatage is great. What if we just did curatage? And so it's retrospective, it's single center, single investigator, but really informative. And and he looked at five-year cure rates and he had a 96% cure rate. Yeah. Um, so just doing curatage alone is, is very effective. And then a number of people have looked at curatage plus iniquimod. Uh, so there's a fellow by the last name of Wu who published, I think it was in the Australasian Journal in 2006. Um, and he had, uh, I think it was, again, it was kind of mid-90s curate. And then there's a few others who have published afterwards and very, very similar numbers. So for me, the first step is a shave-based biopsy. Yeah. Uh, and then if it's a lesion that I think is amenable possibly to uh, topical treatment or, or, or any, any, you know, any lesion that I think will have a good cosmetic outcome if I just curette that lesion away, yeah. uh, usually that's how I'll start. If it's a large superficial basal cell, I may not curette the whole thing. If I think I'm going to aim for the best possible cosmetic outcome, we might try to treat it more uh, topically, but yeah. certainly if it's a small nodular basal cell to get that highest possible cure rate, if we're going to go non-surgical, yeah. it'll start with curatage. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I, I, I you know, in my practice here on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, uh, I see a lot of patients with, with very, very severe chronic sun damage on their skin. And it's very, very typical in my clinic to um, diagnose multiple tiny BCCs, IECs, little very early, well-differentiated squamous cells. And, and I, I, I'm finding that curatage, with or without cautery, um, is a very, very um, effective and popular treatment modality much more so than excision. Of course, I go to excision when it's appropriate and when necessary and, and so on. But with these very small lesions, which you have to treat, you can't ignore them just because they're small. Um, you can get a very good um, pathology sample, of course. And, you, and if you select your lesions carefully and as you, you become experienced in the technique, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very effective, a very effective treatment. And I, I'm interested in your your mention of the combination of curatage with imicrimod. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. Have you have you done much of that in your practice? Yeah, I would. Well, first off, my practice is very similar to yours, right. <clears throat> even though we don't have the sort of sun exposure, you know, here. Yeah, but it's a very selected practice because we're the, we're the referral center, and I end up getting all the people with the worst possible actinic damage. And, and my experience is exactly what you're experiencing. I I, I do a, a, tr a tremendous amount of electrodesiccation and curatage on the body for yeah. sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's that's my go-to for superficial basal cell cancer. It's my go-to for um, small, smaller nodule, nodular yeah. basal cell cancers. Um, a lot of uh, we call it in-situ squamous cell carcinoma yeah. uh, here. So so for sure. The one issue with EDC on the face that I find is the scarring, right? Hi. If you, you, you do those hyp, hypopigmented scars, especially on younger people, yep. may, may not have the best cosmetic outcome. So there's a fine line there in terms of how much curatage can I do? Should I use electrodesiccation? Am I going to get hypopigmentation? Yeah. Um, for me, the, um, the depth of the lesion is sort of a defining feature you know <clears throat> when it comes to nodular if i'm going to curette that lesion and leave an atrophic scar it's not worth it at least not from a cosmetic you know not from a cosmetic perspective but if it's a a thin nodular basal cell that i can curette and get a good cosmetic result from that's fantastic yeah yep. um when it comes to combining uh curatage and imikamod i i would say i do that on a routine basis like okay. i will I, I always curette before I, uh, any non-surgical treatment, I will curette first. And I do it at the time of biopsy. So, so I look at the lesion or lesions and I'll, I'll do shave biopsies. I, and I'll make a decision at that time, whether it is worth curetting this okay, uh, or am I, you know, is this going on to, mm. am I biopsying this for the plastic surgeon? Am I buying it, biopsying it for myself for later or whatever it is. But if I'm thinking yeah. non-surgical treatment, I will curette it up front yep. and then I will wait for results. And then I'll have either a call with the patient or often I will bring them in at some point after, and we'll take a look at how things have healed. Yep. And that's when we make the decision about whether we go on to Imikomod or not. And the role that Imikomod plays for, for me, it's sort of like an insurance essentially against recurrence. I've already reduced their risk of recurrence uh, just by doing curatage. Um, I've looked at them to see what, what's the cosmetic outcome here? Like, is this something we just should go on to further surgery anyway, because it doesn't look good or whatever it is. And so then I let them decide, I'll go over the numbers with them in terms of, well, what, here's the risk if we just observe. And, and that's the other thing. I mean, obviously we should be talking about, well, what's the recurrence risk anyway, right? If it's just right. a little bit of margin BCC or, um, so that's the first thing is just what's the option in terms of uh, simple observation. And then we talk about imikomod and then we talk about PDT actually for BCC. Uh, that's right. something we're launching later this month. It's been an ongoing, uh, it's been a long project of mine to get uh, PDT launched for BCC, get all the protocols in place and all the staff training. We're actually launching that later this month. So those are kind of the two pillars of non-surgical treatment. And then we get into every patient. We always talk about surgery as well as the gold standard. And I, I go into the numbers. So they understand that, you know, excision is high nineties, but if I go to uh, a non-surgical treatment, I'm looking at somewhere between 70 and 90% cure. Yeah. 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 Now that that's fascinating. Um, look, I'm conscious of time. Let, let's pull this towards a close by asking what we, you know, something we should touch on. How does all this play out in terms of cost for for patients in your setting? Can you walk us through the the key stuff there? Yeah, great, great question too. So um, we're we're fortunate that we can get imikomod powder here, and we work with a compounding pharmacy that is able to compound it into uh, like a 
generic cream base, basically. Oh. So that cuts the cost. Uh, the uh, the brand name Aldera is pretty expensive over here. It's I think it's around five hundred bucks right now. But the um, the compounded version is around two hundred dollars. So for a lot of patients, that cost is reasonable. If you know if you're talking about better cosmetic outcome, don't need surgery. Um, especially if you're getting into multi, multi, you know, if you've picked up a bunch of small basal cells, you've just done three lesions and we're looking at, you know, three different sites that might need further surgery versus let's give it a go with topical treatment and see how, how it works out. Um, that's a pretty reasonable cost. It, it, it is. How, how does that compare with, with the cost of surgery, for example? Yeah, well, we're in a public system here. So, yeah. uh, so that, that is, surgery is still an enormous part of what we do because it's covered. You know, people, right. some people, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to pay anything out of pocket. They know they can go to the hospital and get it done. They can come to our clinic. If we, if we operate, it's covered. It's a government funded surgery. So, so, uh, you know, that's, that's still, that's one of the main reasons is still the main choice for most patients. Right. But for some patients who value uh, a better cosmetic outcome, they want to avoid surgery if they can, yeah. or the patients who are maybe they're burning out from so much surgery, you know, and they want some alternative, you know, after someone's operated on your nose twice, three times, you're running yeah. out of tissue and yeah. you're just tired of it all at that point. I think that last one is a very good point. And I think it, it is a, it is an area that we as doctors sometimes forget and, and ignore or are not sensitive to that, that for many of our patients who've had multiple excisions, they just get, as you say, they just get sick of it and they're mm -hmm. fed up with it. And they know these BCCs are not going to kill them and that managing, managing them rather than aggressively curing them, you know, urgently. Uh, I think there is, there, there's a lot to be said for that, particularly as patients get older and maybe a bit infirm and comorbidities and, and all the rest of it. So that's very interesting. Gene, I'm conscious of time. You've got to go to bed. I've got to go back to clinic and see patients. It's been um, a wonderful to talk to you for these two podcasts and something tells me there will be more to come. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, David. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more and please share it with others. And for more info, please go to healthcert.com.